guys, welcome to our first table. Thank you, Jordan and the band, that was awesome. Uh, we are so glad that you are all here. Uh, it's so cool to see people in a similar stage of life gathering together and longing to worship the Lord together, longing to connect with people who are like-minded and chasing after Christ together. So it's awesome that we're all here, and we're making history tonight. This is the first time we've ever done something like this at the Vista, so y'all are part of making history, and hopefully it continues on and on, and it's going to be awesome, and I'm super excited to see how the Lord works through this group this semester. But as young adults and college students, as people in this stage of life, we're probably asking a lot of questions. I know I am. We're asking a lot of questions like, what should my vocation be? Or what should my major be? Who am I supposed to marry? Or am I supposed to get married? Do I apply for grad school? Where do I apply to grad school? Do I accept a job here in Belton or, or Temple? Or do I move somewhere else? Is the Lord calling me to make roots here? Or is he calling me, me somewhere else? Do I buy a house? Or when do I start having kids? We are, we're asking all these really big questions. And this is a fun, exciting, freeing season of life. But sometimes these questions weigh on us. And we want to know the answers to what we're supposed to do. What is God's will for our lives? What is the direction he's calling us to? And I think many of us in this room are asking some of those questions, right? And asking what God's will is for our lives. So that's what we're going to be talking about here at the table this semester. We're going to be talking about what, how do we discern God's will for our lives? What do we do with that? And I wish that I could give you this easy step-by-step -step formula to discern God's will, but unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, it's not that simple. But our goal is, me and the rest of the communicators that will be speaking at the table this semester, is to equip you with some really tangible ways to find freedom in finding God's will for your life. Okay, so what do we mean when we're wondering what God's will is for our life? I think it means we're looking for direction. We're saying, God, where are you guiding me towards? What is next? I want clarity for who I'm supposed to marry. Or I want guidance for what job I'm supposed to take. We want to know that we're headed in the right direction, right? We want affirmation from God that we are taking the right next step. And ultimately, that's because at the end of our lives, we want to be in front of Jesus, in front of the Lord, and we want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? As Christians, as followers of Christ, we are trying to live a life pursuing Jesus, pursuing the right direction, because we want God to be proud of us. And so that's what we're asking I think, when we're saying, what is God's will for my life? And I'm right there with you, feeling the weight of some of these questions. I mean, I think back to when I was trying to figure out where I was supposed to go to college, and I made this list of pros and cons. Anyone ever made a pros and cons list to make a decision? You're like, man, this is good, this is good, but this one's bad. And 
So I made this pros and cons list of if I was supposed to go to college in Belton or if I was supposed to go somewhere else. And I felt the weight of that. I spent countless hours trying to decide if Belton, Texas is where God wanted me to be. Or maybe it's trying to decide who you're supposed to marry. I know I spent a ton of time trying to discern God's will for who I was supposed to marry. I mean, it consumes us sometimes, trying to figure out God's will for our lives. And these big questions, we're overwhelmed by, who, who is this supposed to be? Um, I, I read books on trying to figure out the type of guy that I was supposed to marry. I listened to podcasts on how to date. And I spent countless hours meeting with people that I trusted, trying to get them to help me discern God's will for my life. And, and I'm going to be honest with you guys on, on this one. I thought that um, once I figured out God's will for who I was supposed to marry, then the rest of life would be like cruising from then on out. Because that's a big one. That's an important one. And it affects the rest of your life. That's who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And I thought, God, if you can just give me the answer to this question, if you can just write it out super clearly, then, then I'll be good. I'll stop, I'll stop bugging you with the questions. And I think that's what we do with any of the big questions that in our lives. The, the one that's at the forefront of our minds feels like the most important thing ever. And we're like, God, if you can just give me the answer to this question, I'm, I'm done. I promise. Like, I'll be good. And I'm a fleeger now. I got married to Aaron five months ago. Yeah. Um, but I've had more questions since August 8th. It didn't stop there. I still want to know God's will for our lives now. Like, what are we supposed to do with our money? Do we aggressively pay off our student loans? Or when do we start having kids? Don't worry. I'm not going to have kids anytime soon. <laughs> um, but we're asking some of these big questions that weigh on us and that consume our thoughts and that take up a lot of our attention because we want God to be happy with the direction we're going with our lives. We want to know we're in his will and that we're moving in the right direction. So let's put a pin on that, and we're going to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. But we're going to enter into the house of Mary and Martha. So it says... As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we have entered into the house of Mary and Martha, okay? These two women who invited Jesus and his disciples into their home. And we get this picture of Martha in the kitchen, hard at work preparing a meal for Jesus and his disciples. And then in the other room, Jesus is sitting there with a group of people surrounding him, and he's teaching them a lesson on theology, most likely, okay? He's teaching them how to live, what he intends for their lives. And who else is in that room sitting with them? 
sitting mesmerized by Jesus' theology lesson. Mary. Mary is sitting there listening to this lesson on theology, but what does it say? But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So Martha was all caught up in the other room with these tasks that she felt like she was called to do. I mean, she thought that this was the most important thing in front of her at this moment. And she felt like this was her role, this was her calling, to be preparing this awesome meal for Jesus and the disciples. And y'all, this was not a bad calling by any means. I mean, I think it's a pretty worthy calling to be making a, a meal for Jesus. I'm not equipped to do that. Um, but it's a worthy calling to be making a meal for Jesus. But it says she was distracted. She was busy with the preparations. And so you can imagine, she's like rushing around place to place, making sure the casserole doesn't burn, making sure the pie crust is the perfect amount of flakiness. And then finally she takes a breath. She takes a minute to stop and wipe the sweat from her forehead. And while she does, she peers around the corner. She looks around the corner to see what's happening in the other room. And what does she see? It hits her. Mary is sitting in there listening to Jesus while she's in the kitchen doing all the work, while she is busy doing what she feels called to do, while she's busy with all the preparations. She sees her sister sitting in the other room, and she gets frustrated. She gets confused. She's like, isn't this what I'm supposed to be doing? Isn't this what I'm called to do? Why is Mary sitting in the other room? So she storms into the other room to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to come help me. And what she's doing in this, affirma- in this moment is looking for affirmation from Jesus that she is doing the right thing with her time. And she's not necessarily saying she wants help, but she's realizing that Mary's doing something different than I'm doing. I'm supposed to be in here, right? Like, this is what I'm called to do, right? So she goes to Jesus to get affirmation, but she responds, Jesus responds a little bit differently than she thought. He says, Martha, Martha, really kindly, really tenderly, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Martha here has gotten so caught up in what she is supposed to do with her life. She's gotten so caught up in what her role maybe is supposed to be. She's gotten worried and anxious, trying to prepare everything, trying to do everything she's supposed to do. That she's forgotten that the most important thing is to sit at the feet of Jesus. Jesus makes it really clear that, hey, all those things, those things aren't needed. There's one thing that's needed, and that's what your sister's doing. She's sitting at my feet. 
And so I want us to ask ourselves this question tonight. Are we spending more time trying to know what God wants for our lives, or are we spending more time trying to know God? Okay, think about that for a minute. Are we spending more time trying to discern what God wants for our lives? Is that consuming our thoughts, consuming our conversations, or are we spending more time trying to know God? And I told you I didn't have a perfect formula for you to discern God's will tonight, but I can confidently tell you that knowing God is the first step, the most important step. Second Peter um, 1, 3 through 4 in the message version says it like this, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who has invited us to God. Hey, do you hear what that's saying? Everything we need in this life, everything we need to understand this life, God's given us the key. And that is by getting to know Jesus personally and intimately. So how do we know God's will? We know God. We spend time knowing Jesus. We look at Jesus and watch what he does, who he spends time with, how he spends his time, who are the people he's loving, what's the most important thing on his agenda. We sit at his feet. We spend time connecting with him intimately in his word. And we spend time building a relationship with him through prayer. That's how we know God's will for our lives. That's the first step. So I want you all to think about for a second. If you, if I ask you to stand up and I put two people in front of you and then I blindfolded you, okay? You didn't see who the people were. I messed this stuff, okay? So I'm, I'm blindfolding you. You don't know the two people in front of you, but one of them, I choose your best friend, okay? Someone that you know really, really well. And then the other one is a complete stranger, someone you've never met. And if, I, if they both start talking to you and inviting you to come towards them, which voice are you going to listen to? Which voice are you going to listen to? Your friend or the stranger? Your friend, right? Because you trust them. You recognize their voice. You spent time with them. You're connected with them. So you're going to trust moving in their direction, even when you can't see, okay? And that is how our relationship should be with God. If we don't know God, how are we going to know God's voice? If we haven't spent time with God, how are we going to hear his voice, okay? So... We have to spend time connecting with God if we want to be able to hear his voice in our lives. I love that the Bible um, uses us as, uh, or talks about us as sheep all throughout scripture. We are referred to as sheep and God is our good shepherd. And the cool thing about sheep is that they get trained to only respond to one person. 
They only respond to their shepherd. Any other voices, they completely tune out. They won't come running unless it's their shepherd, the one that has taken care of them, the one that has led them to food and to water. They trust him. That's the only voice they listen to. It's become second nature to when their shepherd calls them, they respond. Okay? So let's read um, John 10, 14. read about sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. This is Jesus talking here, okay? So do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So God knows your heart intimately. He knows every part of you. He knows the good, the bad. He knows every part of you. He created you. But the sheep also know the shepherd here. So there's an expectation that we respond, and that we know our shepherd back. That we spend time intimately connecting with him. And then we respond to his voice. Because just like sheep do in real life, that voice of the shepherd becomes second nature. And also, did you catch what it said here? That the shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. The shepherd will do anything to keep those sheep alive, to keep those sheep headed in a direction towards life, keeping them away from death. So when you are in the sheep pen, when you are in Jesus' sheep pen, he's going to do everything he can to protect you, to take care of you, and to lead you on a path towards life. So we need to know our shepherd And he will take care of us. We can trust him. He's a trustworthy shepherd. So back to our story. Martha is anxious about her responsibilities. Her attention was drawn away by the burdens of her duties. But in contrast, Mary was taking a seat at the feet of Jesus. She took this posture of being a disciple. So for rabbis and teachers in that culture, if you sat at their their feet, you were saying, I am a disciple of this person. It was a very honorable spot. So Mary hopped in and was like, man, I want to follow this person. I want to follow them with my life. I want to learn from them. I want to get to know him. So Mary's taken this posture of a disciple. And she's not anxious about her role, about her next step, about what she's supposed to be doing with her life. She's dropped everything to give God her full attention, all her worship, all her praise in that moment. That is her number one priority, not what she's supposed to do, not the next step, not the next move. 
She's a worshiper before she is a servant. Y'all, we are, we are called to do things with our lives. We are called to move and take action, but we are called to be worshipers before we are called to serve. And that is really important. So as we discern God's will for our lives, we are called to know God first. So y'all, before we can begin to attempt to discern God's will, and these big questions and the little questions, before we can be good students, before we can be good coworkers, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, we have to be sons and daughters. We have to be okay with slowing down and stopping and taking a posture of a disciple, a posture of worship. We have to make it a habit to be sitting in this posture of learning and knowing and trusting God with our lives. And there's freedom in that. There's freedom. We get to put aside these questions that are weighing on us and say, I trust God and I want to be with God with my whole life. And there, there's freedom in that. So we're never going to be a good nurse or a good friend, or a good coach, or a good husband, or a good CEO, or a good mother, if we are not a son or daughter first. If we are not pursuing a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus first. That should be our number one priority. So as we think about these preparations in our lives, these things that are important. We first need to make it a priority that knowing God is at the top of that list. Knowing God gets all of our attention, all of our worship, all of our praise before anything else in our lives. God's voice and God's word deserves the top priority. And the rest will flow from that. So let's pray. God, we're thankful for what you are doing in this space and for what you're doing in our hearts. And God, we come before you with some big questions, with some big things weighing us down but we find freedom in the fact that we can sit and rest at your feet. God, we want to know you. We want to know you. We want your, you to be the top priority in our lives. And I pray that we would faithfully live that out this week. We love you. It's your name. Amen.